This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by the Himalayan walking shoes. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. Do us a solid. Check out our YouTube channel. This podcast is making me thirsty. Subscribe. Rate and review us on iTunes. If you dig it, please pass it on. Check out our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at this thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at this thirsty. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 119. Today we have two guests. Together they co-wrote the screenplay for Live Free or Die, wrote for the Michael Richards Show and the Martin Short Show. And of course, they were credited with writing a combined 12 episodes of Seinfeld from seasons five through season eight. Please welcome Andy Robin and Greg Cavett. Andy, Greg, thanks for joining. Nice to be here. Andy and Greg, this is this is a treat for us. Um, so take us back. We're, I'll start with Andy, because um, you were the first to to come to come to Seinfeld. Tell us a little bit about how that opportunity. I know you started with the Junior Mint, but um, how did you get on the writing staff back in back in '93? Um, I had written for Saturday Night Live for a season, and when Jerry Seinfeld hosted, I asked. Adam Sandler, if he could pass Jerry uh, a script I had written. And um, Jerry had brought along Larry Charles and Larry David when he was on SNL. And they read it and liked it enough to have me pitch some ideas. So uh, one, one of those ideas uh, eventually became the Junior Mint and um, spent a year on Seinfeld by myself, realized it was a lot more fun writing with Greg, asked Greg if he would want to uh, worked together again because we had written a lot in college and uh, uh, yeah, I just think Greg's the funniest person and I wanted to uh, have somebody to laugh with and not be alone in the room. Greg, Greg had launched his own company, but he was he was willing to try to extricate him, himself from that. And we did. A, and and uh, we started writing together in, I think, 94. Wow, that's great. So yeah, so Greg, what what was that like? You get the call from Andy. Um, I guess that that was around season five of Seinfeld. It was you know Thursday yeah, nights. We talked a little bit during the Junior Mint, um, just just kind of briefly. And the following season, I was running this company. I was pretty working pretty hard already. And he came up with this kind of idea. He's like, "What if we wrote together?" I'm like, "Look, I can't like leave. I can't be out there." Um, but we ended up getting like the world's worst uh, data connection, basically between LA and Boston, where I was. And we would try to be like writing on the same computer at the same time. And I mean, it, it crashed honestly every ten minutes. Like I still am paranoid about saving my stuff every, you know, as often as possible because we just lost endless amounts of material because this stupid internet. It wasn't even internet. I don't know what the hell it was. Some data line would crash back then. But it allowed us to write together, and we came up with enough stuff that. Eventually, uh, Andy went in, pitched the Jimmy as separate ideas. Um, and once they kind of he- went ahead with that, we wrote that up. And then I flew out for, you know, for casting and for uh, 
and for shooting that episode it was my first one that I was actually on set. Awesome. And one of our favorites. And we actually, Andy Stark was, I mean, Anthony Stark was our first, uh, oh, our first cool. guest who was, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. show. Yeah, yeah. he was great. He was so good. Um, so let's yeah. do that. Maybe we'll jump into the Jimmy. So we've, we've talked to several writers and kind of got a feel for, um, you know, it, it sounds like Larry and Jerry wanted real life stories a lot. It sounds like they, you would pitch them ideas if they liked it. They tell you to run with it. You, you'd, you'd go back and write the script, hand it to them. They would then sort of do their thing to it. Um, how did that work? Uh, is that, is that similar to how it worked for you guys? Like, let's just stick with the Jimmy, I guess. Like, um, curious, like where those stories come from. You know, we we're talking earlier about Watley and the penthouse magazines and, uh, the strength footwear. Well, Howard definitely used those strength. Chris used those strength footwear shoes. I remember, um, you know, just kind of an idea of who did you meet someone who talked in the third person? Like, where did some of these stories come from? Or always interested in? Um, the third person was, I think something we always joked about like you know ricky henderson wade boggs certainly always did and i think particularly with wade boggs we were you know red sox fans and it would just it's just it always seemed like such a natural story um in terms of that uh the the shoes i think were originally my dad had some catalog with those strength shoes and i don't remember if i brought them up or we had talked about them before but we actually even like tested them out we wanted to see like what the reaction would be so i put them on and we went to the new england aquarium and they let me in for free because they thought i was mentally challenged i mean it, like we're like all right i think this actually works because <laughs> these look pretty stupid um i don't know what were the other stories in that one i'm trying to remember the order in which the stories kind of came <laughs> came together like I'm, yeah i at some point we wanted kramer to to be mistaken for a mentally challenged person. I feel like that was the uh, last one. George probably started it, yeah. right? Because <laughs> um, we started it. We always had an easier time with George. I don't even re- what was, George is trying to sell the shoes. What else yeah. was going on with George? Was that the sweaty one, or is that is that a different? No, one? That's yeah. Was he doing well, that? no, he yeah, he was sweating, you know, from from the uh, the gym, yeah. But yeah, you're was, right. It was the story. Yeah, yeah. so he was yeah, sweating. So that one originally, the George story was yeah. was yeah, him sweating. The shower, right? The shower's not taking that setup. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Wait, and so originally that was right, a bigger right. story. Psychotics take cold showers. Yeah, yeah, and um, right. And it was you know working towards him being accused of lying, stealing, uh, <laughs> with missing equipment, and being sweating and looking like he was guilty. I, I believe that was the first story actually that we. And <laughs> did you guys come up with the name Jimmy? Like it's just it's kind of perfect, you know. Like, <laughs> and did you did you have someone in mind? Anthony Stark obviously was remarkable, but was, did you have maybe maybe like we heard Jimmy? A lot of rocks rock and roll stars talk about themselves in the third person. Maybe it was a Jimmy Buffett thing. My father-in-law's name is Jimmy. Maybe that was it. It just felt like a, it felt like a, <laughs> it fit the personality somehow. Yeah, I don't it's know. a very, yeah, it, it's the right name. Um, and Anthony Stark, we didn't have him in mind ahead of time, but he was, I remember right when he came in, he was great. Like he was one of those guys that came into casting and just, you know, like, oh yeah, that's. He was, guy. he was kind of youngish. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe a little too young, but it kind of made it funnier. Yeah. yeah. Like Elaine, yeah, ends up with him. So, so Andy, Greg, you both mentioned uh, that you were kind of talking during the junior mint, and that's an incredible story that you pass on to the Sandler. And for my money, I'll never forget that that history class with Jerry Farley, Chris Rock. I mean, on SNL, incredible. I mean, one of the best scenes ever. I mean, 
pound for pound, the comedy in that room was unbelievable. So you're writing the junior men, and we've read that you you didn't think it was a great episode. You didn't think Larry would like it. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm assuming you bounce these ideas off Greg across the country, but um, tell us a little bit about the junior mint. And well, like a, like a lot of comedy writers, you know, in, in my life, I've had a tendency to be a little bit of, of a neurotic and occasionally kind of get panicky. And I suddenly realized at one point that operating rooms, you, you know, no, no operating rooms could allow somebody to chuck something. <laughs> you know, if, if they're going to invite people in, they're not going to be, they're not going to be able to throw things. You know, I was just concerned there's going to be some kind of barrier. It just seemed really far-fetched. And I suddenly thought, oh, this uh, I'm killing this show that I love. This this is the stupidest episode ever. But nobody cared. Um, so that was one point of panic. Another point of panic was that George buying the dead artists, the, the dying artists art story. A uh, friend of our actually, Greg, Greg uh, is friends with him, too. John Abel and Glenn Berger at one point in the process told me that the Golden Girls, which is a show I've never seen had a similar episode <laughs> and I, I thought, Oh crap. I, you know, that's it. I guess I'm I can't do the golden girls, I'm done. And I told Larry, you know, my friend said the golden girls did this and he said, yeah, nobody cares. So <laughs> I don't, you know, uh, no, nobody's ever mentioned it to me since. So either they were mistaken or it was sort of a very slim connection, but that was another big point of panic. And then this third point of panic, which Greg can vouch for, is when you get the first cut of a show, um, when they slap it, you know, before you've done a lot of editing as a group and before it's sweetened and the sound and music are in place, it's so depressing. It, it doesn't look like a show. And you look super amateurish and you're, you're <laughs> embarrassed that you're associated uh, with this. I mean, every yeah. time, like every, every time, you know, how many times you've seen it, you're like, oh shit, this one is terrible. This is the we, one. That we, yeah, we finally created something that is unwatchable, but is not fixable. <laughs> so I got a call from, I got an excited call from this agent at William Morris. Andy, we have a rough cut of the show. We got a cut. Come, you can come watch it. And uh, I wasn't, in, I didn't know anything about producing TV shows. <laughs> so I went, and sat in a dark room by myself and watched this episode that was abysmal <laughs> and thought and and just was so depressed uh, until until it aired and uh yeah it was uh yeah so those those moments uh have happened where you, you suddenly just lose any confidence in what you've done yeah there's a lot of in the process i mean maybe you guys have heard it from other people there's a ton of like ups and downs that you wouldn't necessarily expect you know like like a good table read is amazing and you're like oh this thing's nailed but there's a lot of work after the table read and if that stuff doesn't go well it's a crap episode and you know you kind of have the highs of that and the lows of seeing that first edit and it's just a lot of back and forth that way yeah and, and you know something to touch on there and it has to do with both your guys points and that episode is the mulva so we've we've heard several stories on this and maybe we could finally clear this up for our fans we so originally was the, was the name going to rhyme with a car? Does that sound anything familiar to you guys at all, Andy? Did, were you thinking of naming? No, and, uh, no, I I would know that, and at no yeah, point right. was it going to rhyme with a car. Okay, no. so we got that out of the way. That was one thing that we had heard from somebody at some point in time. The other thing we heard was Mulva told us that. Yeah, well, Mulva herself told us that, but well, that's for another. I, I'm not sure where she's getting that from, but maybe she knows something I don't know. No, no, that's fair. And then the other thing is Ann Tolman, who we had on, who who was uh, Michael Richards' girlfriend for a little while, was on set for the taping of that. 
And she mentioned that the name was came from the audience. Like there was different names you guys were, were batting around and you weren't settled Yeah, it was settled originally going to end. Um, Larry Charles, I think, because I, I wasn't there at the time. I think he, he came up with the rhymes with the female body part thing. Okay. And it was going to end with never knowing what it was. And somebody from the audience suggested Dolores and they went with it. Okay. It, that part, it worked that, well. that yeah. checks out with the story we heard. That checks out. Awesome. Glad, glad we cleared that up. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so, so the, the, it, the, the Jimmy was, was the first one that you guys wrote a, a, as a team tactically got to, you know, combined as yeah. a team. Um, and that was season six. Um, then we move on to season seven and, uh, you guys start, start really cranking them out together. Uh, the, the first one, there's the hot tub, which has, a, is just packed with some classics with John Paul, John Paul, why separate knobs? Um, you know, the whole, uh, you bastard, you sons of bitches yeah, yeah. Kramer with the hot tub. Maybe you guys can let us know. The hot, I mean, the hot tub is definitely, you know, up there as, as a favorite for many fans. Um, I remember putting that one together. Yeah. Greg, do, what, what do you recall of where those stories came from? Um, I know the, uh, I think very early on we had the marathon ending with the, uh, you know, basically throwing something over his head because that was uh, something my brother did at the Boston marathon. Like we were handing out Gatorade and we had a guy who came running by, grabbed it, thought it was water, threw it over his head and then was like, fuck you to <laughs> <laughs> all of us standing there <laughs> who felt really terrible. So I, I felt like that was maybe the earliest part of that storyline, at least. Um, the Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul, I think the actual missing the Olympics, uh, Larry came up with, or Larry had heard about and wanted us to go with, I remember. Like, maybe it wasn't originally, maybe, I don't remember where the- Somebody who originally who marathon, but it was some, some Olympic person who had slept through their meat, um, I think came from Larry. Um, and the, the George stuff was him looking annoyed. Yeah, that was Andy. That was like a guy you worked for, right? Yeah. Well, no, the George <laughs> yes. stuff in that one was was, that was, was the, the sons uh, of bitches the, and the. Uh, well, it was also that. Bastards. Yeah, that too. What's that? It was also sons of bitches, but it was originally George looking annoyed to to not get. Yeah, not get I worked at the, the Stanford, Connecticut Parks and Recreations Department one summer, and the guy who ran the department rarely showed up for work. But when he was there, really wanted to convince you he was working hard, and so he was always irritable and and you know lifting up the pile of paperwork on his desk. And you believe this crap, Andy? Doesn't end. Never ends. Um, so I think, I, yeah. that resonated with me and Greg. We've always, you know, looked for little tricks to try to lighten our load. And being, if you look, if you know, pe people who are horsing around and smiling all the time don't necessarily look like hard workers. If you look a little more frustrated or intense, it tends to make give you give others the impression that you're working hard. Yeah, and that lends itself to George incredibly. We talked to. Um, Peter Melman, and he actually said the easiest character that he wrote for was Elaine. I'm curious where kind of the, the big four kind of ranked uh, uh, with you. Guys. George was definitely the easiest for us. We, we, I, I mean, we left, we ended the show with probably another 20 George stories. I mean, honestly, we just had piles of them. Do you remember um, any of them? <laughs> no. <laughs> you pitch, uh, I remember. Do you remember anything you pitched that, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you oh, yeah. Um, well, go ahead. George then. going, like visiting a... <laughs> needing to use the bathroom and, and pretending he was interested in taking a tour at an open, an open house at a, 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 with, with a realtor and, and the, the plumbing hadn't been hooked up. <laughs> and then uh, George has to give a presentation 
working on some charitable effort of the Yankees, has to give a presentation to the players' wives. And uh, he's sitting down and gets an erection with these wives all uh, being kind of affectionate and attractive and can't stand up to give the presentation and has to make an excuse why he can't get up to use the blackboard uh, or whatever. And then what was the other? We had a couple others. Um, no. but, but George clearly was easiest for you. Yeah, you guys we, wrote we both George had a so lot well. of work, weird stuff. I think we just liked, you know, watching people at work doing George kind of scammy things. Right. I think we're both like honeymooners fans. It's kind of like it felt like that kind of charactered us a little bit. You know, just looking for some little edge going on with George, um, something a little underhanded all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you guys wrote. You guys wrote George so well. I mean, it starts with with really your first your first episode, Andy, the the barber with Penske file. I mean, that's when we think George, we think Penske file. I mean, that's George in a nutshell, right? I mean, that's that's something that's going to be quoted, you know, forever. Just uh, you know, Penske material and that whole thing. I mean, uh, it was that something that happened in real know, life. That that is not only based in real life, but it's based on my first encounter with um, Larry and Jerry when I was pitching the junior men. I, I I went in really nervous. I was such a big fan. It was my the first sitcom I was trying to write for. Went through the beats of the story with them. And afterwards, Larry said, uh, well, good job. Uh, I want you to write this script. And I went away thinking, all right, well, I got Larry in my corner. So that's good. That's a good sign. <laughs> and uh, I figured, you know, Larry had to talk to the network and his producer team and so I just sort of patiently waited. And like a week later, I get a frantic call from my agent. What, you know, why didn't you tell me you got the script? I said, I didn't get the script. He said, Larry said, you, they said you got the script. I said, no, uh, Larry wants me to do it. He said, that means you got the script. So I told Larry that story, uh, thinking it might be a funny story for George. And, um, and he he added the little so Pensky or whatever the guy's name it says I want you to have this job of course yeah. and then it takes you know just to to really hit hit it home. I mean, for my money, the the the, the three seconds a ta ta total. I mean, I I cannot laugh at that. And you have a bunch of these throughout your 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 your. Uh, your episodes. Yeah. So mentioned, you're, we're mentioning Larry a lot and you guys have a kind of unique position. You, you wrote while Larry was there and you wrote when Larry wasn't there. So, you know, we've heard from a lot of writers, you know, they, they submit the script and then Larry kind of just tears it apart. He changes everything. Did that happen a lot with you um, in season six, seven? And I'm curious how that kind of, did you get more control in those, in those later years? Um, well, it felt really uh, script dependent, which was pretty nice. Like when you turn in a script, uh, at least in six and seven, uh, if it was, if it worked, if it worked at the table read, if it worked at the first kind of run through, not a lot changed. You know, it was like, like I remember the Jimmy, there was one scene that connected to a previous episode that was added um, kind of about, uh, about him being gay which we didn't know because we hadn't seen that episode yet. But other than that, it was pretty close. You know, obviously there's a few like tweaks here and there, but that story was kind of working. The whole script was working and it stayed very close to what we had. And other ones you'd come in with and they really needed some work. And 
Larry and Jerry would go off and do whatever needed to be done, you know, and sometimes that was a really heavy rewrite and sometimes it was a few scenes, but it, it gave it, it gave it the ability where I feel like particularly for those earlier seasons, you can watch it and pretty much know who wrote it. You know, it's like, Oh, that feels like Melman. That feels like, you know, whoever, whoever did that one, there's enough of that tone that remains. Um, and certainly in eight and nine, I think it was, uh, a, it was more of like a mini group and it, it lost a little bit of that really individual script feel. Interesting that, that, that you brought that. I mean, it's, I think that's discernible to, to, to the fan, to some fans. I mean, what you just mentioned is interesting that, that that's, that you saw from the inside and can kind of uh, explain what we've seen from kind of the outside, if that makes sense, like the reason yeah, yeah. behind why it looks different to us, but you know, it's, it, you know, some people love those late seasons and some good, good gems in there. It's just like you said, it's a different tone. Um, you know, well, going through all your episodes there, we talked about the big four, you know, you just mentioned George was, was really the one you guys really, you know, grasped onto, but you guys wrote a lot of guest stars and, and some you like to repeat. I mean, you yeah. know, you got Watley in there a few times, obviously Newman, Peterman with the, with the bottle deposits, uh, the parents, you're bringing in Morty in, in a lot of these, um, you got, you got, uh, Frank Estanza in the fatigue. I mean, you guys love the guest stars too, as well. And we love the guest stars. I mean, the Jimmy, there's one off guest stars and then there's ones you bring back and Sue Ellen Mischke, you bring back a couple of times. I mean, maybe you guys could just touch on, you know, when you're writing those stories, are you, you got George's, it sounds like you're really kind of anchoring with George, but you're bringing in these, these guest stars and these, these secondary roles that just shine. Like, are you, how are you bringing up those stories in your heads? Like how are you tying them all together? And like, what's your thought process for bringing some of them in and kind of just touch on your favorites uh, around those guest stars that, that I kind of just mentioned. I mean, of the recurring, we loved Frank. I mean, I would say that was probably our favorite of the, you know, non four, but, but in the show a lot and we loved writing for him. I think he loved our stuff. Like we had a really good thing going. I think the fatigues was probably like the peak of that, but uh, he was terrific. I mean, he just did a phenomenal job. Um, there was something about his nature that I think appealed to both of us as like, you know, some sort of uncle or grandparent or, you know, just a, just a funny way, like, you know, the way he'd look up to the sky and try to remember his stuff, lines and the way he'd spit stuff out and his anger and his, brustness everything about that worked for us we, we we really especially uh once we had used him a couple times we're like always oh, like oh yeah you know it'd be great to have frank in this thing um i think we had jackie childs in a couple we liked him too yeah he was great yeah. um he, we didn't you know we uh, that character had already been created but we really responded to that um and he, he i think he was in two episodes of first yeah, and he was in the. I mean, he was in the episode where it was OJ. It was the OJ trial, yeah, the right? He was and the, and yeah. you used him as he sh like was meant to be used, right? He right. was Cochran, <laughs> and you guys were like, "Well, let's make him Cochran." The whole thing was going on with OJ at the time, and I mean, that was just like perfect, yeah, perfect. And didn't he was he in the one with Brenda Strong? Uh, Kramer wanted a lawsuit because she was topless. She, she was. Yeah, that was the cat. Yeah, that's the one. That's the caddy. Yeah, yeah, that's the one where. Yeah, the Browless Wonder. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which one of you came up with the Browless Wonder? We're very happy about it, but. Uh... <laughs> um, I know it was that one was definitely partially from Larry and Jerry. They were obsessed with the OJ case, yeah. and they they certainly suggested. I don't remember where when it got exactly to the bra thing. Do you remember? That? <laughs> I think I think um. My uh, spouse Anna was 
I remember being with her and she was irritated about somebody, some, some woman's <laughs> attire. I think that may, maybe where it came from. Um, the, uh, we, we, uh, worked for Castle Rock after the show and we really wanted to do a series based around Jackie Giles. That, that almost happened. That would have been a juicy oh, yeah. sitcom. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Cause you never have stories coming every time with a new like lawsuit. That's yeah. 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 yeah we, we, we add Jackie on. So uh, back to the caddy. So Greg, you're from Massachusetts clearly. Yeah. Andy, did you say you're from Connecticut or? Yeah. Connecticut. So, I mean, we'd be remiss. One of the, our favorite lines of all time in the caddy was obviously the Jay Buhner line. Yeah, one of my favorite lines of all time. It blows my mind every day that that was on the Buhner line. Yeah, watching that live as a Yankee fan growing up, like, wow. I mean, you guys hit it. Like, so who who came up with that one? That was definitely Larry. Um, definitely Larry. Yeah, definitely Larry. It was, uh, we had a lot of baseball stuff, but that one was definitely a Larry line. That sounds like, yeah. I mean, when I heard that live as a kid, it was on TV. Yeah, I was, was insane. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's way up there for me as well. It's like, it's just... Everything about it, the way he's spitting it out, it's it's really funny. <laughs> but I think we were less – I feel like we were less familiar with the Yankees. So it was like – it was a little harder to get like a Jay Buhner-level joke in there than uh, than for Larry perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the one episode we didn't touch on uh, from season uh, seven – is is an hour long episode, the bottle deposit. Um, curious how how that comes about. You know, you guys writing it, and it just you're like, I can't fit this in, and they're like, we'll give you the like. Just the fact that it's an hour is pretty cool because there aren't many of them that that weren't like you know maybe like you know the pilot or something like that where you kind of need the hour to tell the story. Um, so that that was pretty cool how the bottle deposit you know had that. That's when you bring back Sue Ellen Mischke as well. Um, and one of our favorite lines. Speaking of favorite lines, the washer shoe, the washer fluid's not fine, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brad Garrett, the mechanic. I mean, we cry every time that line said we crack up. Um, maybe just tell, I mean, that, that bottle deposit is just packed. It's just packed with, 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 um, I mean, it's kind of an interesting one for us. I, I think, uh, for me, it's a little bit of a disappointment. I felt like, uh, it was maybe the best table read we ever did. It came in at the table read. It was crazy strong. I mean, just like everything was working and we were shooting it and it was super long and these shows were always long, but this one was, to the point where we're like, I don't think we can cut this and have it still make sense uh, and fit into whatever our 22 and a half minutes or whatever it was. Um, and so at some point we decided to go for an hour and it kind of felt like it went the other way. Like it felt to me, it feels really padded out. Like it just doesn't, it was so meaty as a half hour and as an hour, it felt stretched and kind of thin and not as fun as it was at the table. It would have been a great 45 minute episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Because this because you guys said on other episodes they cut a lot, right? But this one they yeah, didn't. Oh, it was like it was so yeah. much to cut. You know, you get to a point, you have four stories, and there are times like like the one we talked about in the Jimmy where Georgia's story is pretty much gone. Like you don't know that the sweating has anything to do with anything. But sometimes they interlock so in such a complicated manner that you're like, you know, crap, I don't think we can cut enough to make it fit and have it still make sense. And yeah, it felt that way. And so we decided to go for an hour, which, uh, you know, I don't think helped it. And I feel like the, the, uh, the pace of the show, I mean, you guys must sense that the, those early shows are so nicely spaced. They have a totally different feel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, for sure. And then as, as each character started to get their own story and, you know, every character is beloved and you want to make good use of these brilliant actors. So, 
like every, it just grows and grows. And editing just got harder and harder over time, cutting it down. And then like in the final year, when, when they started editing for syndication, that was brutal. Because right. you had to take another like two or three minutes out to be able to run it syndicated. I don't know. I don't know if those are the if if those like tight syndication cuts are what are being used on Netflix now. I would guess they are, but they're, they're you know you're definitely cutting some bone yeah. that last pass. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there was even I think it was the fatigues. Like we made a special request to the network that it was longer the first time we aired it. Like we got an extra minute or something because we felt like it's really going to lose stuff if you cut this. Um, and so they ran it slightly long for some reason that that first time. Yeah. Network network TV, right? Beholden to the 21 minutes. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's an ad you mentioned is kind of just the feel of the show. Like we can feel it. We tend to like the early years. Tom Sharonis uh, as a director and maybe we were overthinking this, but was there a difference between Sharonis and Ackerman and like, and how he worked with some of the, some of the characters, like you said, a table read seemed great, but then once you get out there, things kind of change, right? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, think what drives the change most is if you're just really long, like we were with bottle deposit, usually <laughs> if the table reads strong, you just leave it alone. Um, I uh, I thought, you know, I, I enjoyed working with Sharonis and, and Ackerman. Um, I, um, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the feel of the show probably changed the most just because um, it was not so scrutinized early on. They could be a little, you know, it's really different. It just doesn't feel like a sitcom for the first couple of seasons. Yeah, and that was such a nice thing to be under the radar, and to develop these characters slowly and keep it, you know, a little little more realistic, a little based in real life stories than than a typical show. Um, that helped set the tone so that they could continue a lot of a lot of those things later on. Um, but I think the big drive to, that made it the tone feel different was just more stories and more individual stories for each character. Characters weren't sharing stories. They each had their own thing going on. Yeah. And it got, it got a bit, it got a bit more um, outlandish too, as they were building those stories and making them a little bit crazier and crazier. Like you said, probably because there's a lot of eyes on it and a lot more attention and let's make it bigger and better. It just seemed like it was, it became more for the masses and, and the numbers show that. I mean, the, the, the ratings obviously were through the roof there in those later seasons, but yeah, well, uh, all the writers on. were clearing out our memory banks of anything funny that ever happened to us. <laughs> and eventually you just have to invent stuff. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. You do lose a little realism. I mean, particularly I feel like in the later episodes in any given year are the more desperate ones. And um, I think it shows a little bit, you know, it's like those last nine are really hard to come up with and you're kind of reaching for anything. And occasionally you get something that, you know, some spare story that's lying around that's great. But a lot of times you're looking, you're kind of stretching it a little bit and you need that summer to refresh and get something that's kind of more naturally funny. Yeah. And that's interesting too. I mean, to, to that point, how much input is Larry and Jerry giving you um, for like, the arc of a season or like uh you know anything along the lines of hey 
you know, bring back this so we can talk about this in this episode down here? Or do they give you guys that Almost kind of none. direction? Almost none. Okay. Almost none. I would say like, I mean, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it varied season by season. And m- most of my time was, was seven, but the arc was pretty much all Larry and Jerry, you know, they had, they had the engagement thing going, but beyond that, it felt like you were looking for the funniest ideas that were ready to go. And it had nothing to do with any arc. Like there was zero arc going on. We were just trying to hit it out of the park every time. And at most, you know, like we, like we said with the Jimmy, there'd be like one scene tucked in that would kind of tie it back to something, but there wasn't really a lot of thought given to the arc. And did you guys, I mean, cause you guys were a team. I'm just curious, like how did that work? Like just you two went off in a corner and kind of, spitballed ideas or went out for a beer or whatever, what have you. And there were kind of like different pockets of that going on. Or did you collaborate? I know you were producers and story editors on a bunch. Yeah, but. And it varied after Larry left, but we would certainly like talk to other people about their ideas. You know, bounce them off other writers. But in terms of actually like breaking it and writing, yeah, it was pretty much the team or an individual would go off and do their stuff and, you know, maybe come in with like, I need a little help with the scene or I need a little you know, any ideas here, but, 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 you know, I'd say like 90% of it was either the two of us, or if it was an individual, just the individual going off and writing, you know what I mean? And you'd kind of disappear. I mean, part of the challenge with producing in those last two years when Larry was gone was if you're on the floor, it was really tough to be working on your own episode. And so, you know, there was a little bit of like, there's only a certain number of episodes that we can be on the floor and help out with, because we also got to go back and work on the episodes that are coming up next week kind of thing going on yeah I, I can see that and from what we heard you know in the absence of larry uh, mandelberg and and schaefer maybe kind of maybe either attempted to or, or maybe quasi kind of filled in a little bit of that role to help jerry out as far as um i mean i i, I listened to a bit of the dan's uh thing oh, and okay. that was kind of the way he said it. i think for him it it was that way in my view it was more like we kind of split the whole thing into two teams and they probably took 60% and we plus, you know, Melman when he was still there and right. Spike probably had about 40%. But it, it wasn't so much that like, you know, it was this versus that. It was just when, you know, whoever had written that episode, whoever had helped punch up that episode kind of needed to be on the floor to, to guide it through. And so the remaining people were working on the next one. So it was a little bit, I felt like it was more of a split than Dan was indicating. But but uh, certainly, you know, I mean, certainly they had a big impact on what was going on. And there were, uh, particularly in season nine, you know, uh, Jeff and Alec were EPing it. So they, you know, I, they certainly came in and like edited some that that were, I would consider more on our team's side, but but it felt more of a split to me. Yeah. And that that's interesting too, because it's, like we mentioned, I mean, we don't want to harp on it too much, but it, it's definitely, it's noticeable that there's a difference between the tone of the show, obviously from, from, you know, before Larry and after Larry, even before Larry Charles left too. And O'Hara mentioned Sharonis. There's almost these three different kind of different parts of the show that all is Seinfeld, but they're all just a little bit different in their own way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, that season nine season, it, it shows that there's not that driving vision of Larry. That's like kind of running through that. This is, you know, my story, you know, because seasons, the other seasons, you know, Larry's kind of, you know, the driver, if you will, the you know, showrunner. So it is interesting that that's noticeable um, from from a writing standpoint too. Um, the the one of the other episodes I just wanted to touch on too that we didn't uh, on a you know specifics is the uh, the comeback 
that's a crowd favorite. The jerk store called, you know, the whole was great. I mean, that was actually, I'd say a really successful team effort. It was, it was, uh, we had a story that wasn't working and it got pulled. Uh, and Melman had that comeback story kind of sitting around, which I think for us felt like just a classic, like early season, great, you know, like almost one of those like essence of Seinfeld stories. And so felt pretty grateful that he kind of like granted that one to us. And then on top of that, it was, uh, it was one of those room punch-ups that was just, it was just good. I mean, the jerk store line itself was Alec Berg and, uh, he threw it out as like a bad example of what we're looking for. And then it ended up being like, no, that's, that's what we're going to stick with. You know, it was like, it just, it just was really funny. And a lot of the references in that scene are about the writing process. You know, it's all like, you know, it's the arguing over the joke and going back and forth and it's, you know, you collaborate and it gets all watered down and that kind of stuff. And I just kind of uh, thought it was a real fun, fun storyline that way. And of course, Milos. We got a lot of Milos. Uh, yeah, Milos was was great. Uh, that was another real story. It was like uh, a guy selling uh, ski boots who told my brother, and I was there as well, that that he skied in them. And then I happened to run into that guy at a totally different mountain. He was terrible. Like we're like, the the pro is awful. Um, and yeah. And your most critically acclaimed uh, episode was um, the fatigues, right? You guys won uh, a writer's guild. It, I mean, do award, are you most proud of that one because of the award, or um, I mean, not really. We did. I mean, we liked the writing a lot. I I do feel like that one was. I don't know how they do the writer's guild award if it's off the script, but it, it was one of those ones where the editing was tough and. Felt like the script was probably a little better than the episode, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, because as it got tightened up, it got really tight. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we the Frank stuff in there is pretty special. I love the Frank stuff, um, and the episode as a whole has a lot of stuff that works together. But I don't know if the award alone puts it above something like the Jimmy for me. Yeah. Oh, so the Jimmy is your favorite? I'd say probably. Yeah. I mean, partially it was also the first one I was on set for, so for me it was like. It's like, you know, it's this thing I watch on TV and now I'm here and this is all going on. It was pretty, pretty special experience. It was a little hard to top that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something that we kind of want to hear a little bit about. I mean, uh, it, it just sounds like it, it's, it's a dream job, right? You guys are all smart, all funny, just pitching ideas, right? And I know obviously a lot of work you guys are working long hours. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that, but we kind of want to hear the, the fun stories. Maybe we've heard a couple of them. Uh, Andy, I think, I think Dan mentioned to us, Dan O'Keefe mentioned some milk challenge, perhaps. I don't know. It sounds like you guys had a lot of fun. Uh, we're just curious. Maybe you guys could touch on what that's like, you know, in the downtime or there, just, there were know, some very high highs, a lot, of, a lot of fun, good, good lunch conversations. Um, and then when the, when, when we were punching stuff up together, it could get, I could laugh hardest I've ever laughed. Uh, really fun. Um, but a lot of pressure too, because, you know, um, uh, we, we not only writing for the show, but loved the show. It was, there was nothing mercenary about the job. It was, we really wanted it to be just great and, and had seen so many good episodes that that's a lot of pressure. So, um, when you're running out of stories and, and then when you're feeling the pressure, it doesn't help your creativity. So, so you can, uh, you know, hit dry spells, but, um, the, um, I'm losing track of the question. What were you asking? 
Kind of wanted some specifics on that. If you had any funny stories. Oh yeah, you brought up the milk thing. Anything you got that you? I think Alec Berg mentioned that you couldn't drink a gallon of milk in an hour, and I was a big milk drinker, and uh, I thought I could do it. So, um, and he said, no, you can't take any lactate or anything beforehand. So it was just, um, just a pure gallon of milk. And, um, I, I think that's like, what do you, what would you say, Greg? Nine glasses. Were you there? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was about nine, eight or nine. And I think I got to like seven and a half. Right? Yeah. He got very <laughs> close. And then it turns out that last one's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> That is impressive. Stomach, stomach reacts in its own way. Yeah. And then you're kind yeah, you go from, I can do this at like five glasses to, this is not, there's no way I can do this. It's like glass number six. And I didn't also didn't realize how quickly you puke. Like I, I didn't quite make it <laughs> where I needed to go. Um, and then I had to pay because I lost the bet. So right. it was the double kick in the butt. Double whammy. So we, you talked about, I mean, we've talked to so many guest stars and I think the, the beauty of this show is letting the guest star shine and kind of the unselfishness of the, of the main four. And I think you guys can attest to that, but so like the Sue Ellen Mischke's of the world, Jackie Childs. So how that work? Did you write with them in mind or did you write the idea and then, and then, you know, it thought it'd be a good idea to pull back in these characters. Like, did you work with Mark Hirschfeld? Like, I'm just curious kind of how, that whole process went in like bringing characters back. Well, bringing them back. I mean, if we're bringing them back, we're writing with them in mind generally. Um, yeah. I don't think on any of the guest stars that I can remember with somebody in mind, an actor in mind when we wrote it the first time. Um, and more right. people who ended up being great. But yeah, when you're coming back, you're like, you know, we really enjoyed working with this person. And, uh, you know, this would be a funny idea, a funny spinoff kind of idea for them. Um, and yeah. What What are some of your guys' uh, you know favorite episodes that maybe you know you didn't get credit for? Like you didn't you didn't write, but you watched from afar, or maybe you threw a line. We've heard that you know you guys are all kind of like you said punching up scripts and things like that. Like what what's something that maybe you got into someone else's episode that I think you there, there was an episode of Peter Melman's. I think it was Peter's where Watley converts to Judaism or. It was yeah. Sort of a, yada yada. Yeah, yada yada. I think Greg and I had a had a nice a big hand in that. And I remember feeling like that came out really well and that was a good good collaboration. You anti-dentai bastard. Uh maybe that was one of your mind. <laughs> yeah. I think chicken yeah, I mean, fluoride was yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. yeah, I mean that's like I mean we've had uh, you know multiple oh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. came up um just because I, I watched it recently was I was watching the the dealership, which was uh, I think a Steve Corin episode, and I remember really laughing about the candy stuff going on, like when they were all arguing about the random candy bars. It feels very like out of nowhere. It's very specific, and uh, and just I don't know. I still found it really funny just uh, talking about you know which ones have caramel and it's the only candy with the cookie crunch and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. What are I mean, your that- uh, What are your favorite episodes? Yeah, for, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, well, I mean, again, we lean towards, uh, you know, top five anywhere from the limo to the phone message to the red dot to the contest. I'm probably missing a couple here. 
Yeah, all but, the uh, side, marine biologist, but, Hamptons, Bubble Boy, yeah, the Jimmy, but, yeah. of course. But the Jimmy, the junior man, yeah. the hot tub, hot for sure. Up there, for sure. There was a, in season, I think it's season three, the Keith Hernandez episode of season three, yeah. right? Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. The boyfriend's like, up there. That, yeah. that season just doesn't have a lot of a lot of lulls. It was yeah, just so like good. Nine in a row or we, 12 yeah, in a row. You're talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Three I think the Hernandez episode. The Hernandez episode, I, I say this a lot, is like a launch pad for the show. It just kind of took it to another level. And then, you know, four or five, forget about it. Six, the Jimmy. Uh, I mean, I mean, so when you guys like, you were young guys at the time. How, how Andy, how old were you when you kind of, you did SNL, you're a young guy, and then you hopped on Steve I think I was 25 when I came on. 20, I think the Junior Mint... No, 92, 92, I was 24. And, and, uh, I was, I was also the only married guy there. It was just kind of a weird dynamic. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it. Did you yeah. guys, would you guys go to Harvard t- together? Were you guys, that's not how you met in college? Is that right? Or, yeah, we were across the hall from each other freshman year and, uh, kind of immediately hit it off on, I don't know, jokes and pr- we did a lot of pranks there and uh, had a lot of fun and then ended up going on Lampoon and writing parodies for Lampoon. So we had kind of a pretty long uh, track record of working together and had really, really similar sense of humor. I mean, I mean, having talked to a ton of people even since then and kind of gone over jokes, it, it, it was remarkably close sense of humor. Wow. And what was your guys like, you know, like, Tony and I went to high school and everything together. And we watched Seinfeld. Like, what were you, you and Andy watching Cheers? Like, what was kind of the, our touchstones? We both, we were both big Caddyshack fans. Okay. All right. Uh, Caddyshack and Animal House and, uh, and the Zucker films. Um, uh, I think, Greg, were you a Mad Magazine person? Um, not as much as you. I mean, I liked it, but I wasn't yeah. like, I didn't have a ton of them. I, oh, you know, it was like my mom would always go to the store and she'd come back with cracked or crazy. And I was well, just, right. well, speaking of magazines, since you brought it up, Eddie, you know, yeah. the whole penthouse thing and, and the, and the L McPherson playboy, you bring it back in the nap with the playboy. You got the, yeah. Penthouse. And that, the, that uh, came the out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> that was like an invented story that just felt, it just worked really well. Which one? The, uh, the the penthouse in the dentist's office. Tim Wally, yeah. yeah, yeah, and boy, he was so good in that. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's one we didn't touch on I the nap. He just faced a fill, and it just fell into place. <laughs> the one we didn't um, touch. Yeah, on. I wonder what the order was because then the Novocaine helped sell Kramer his uh, challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah what a perfect episode! Like everything yeah, just is. everything worked together. Well, you know, our whiteboards, Greg, Greg and I would put, as the story came to us and we, you know, we'd find our first story. We knew we'd want to do this story. It might be um, person th- talks in the third person and is, and Elaine thinks she's making a date with somebody who's not in the room. I think that yeah. was the first story. And you put that on your whiteboard and then like, like some math problem, the whiteboard would just get messier and messier and filled with arrows connecting to this story. and. We would just sit and stand, stare at the whiteboard for hours until you find some connection between the stories. So when the stories worked well, it was just a lot of thinking and diagramming. Yeah. 
And I, I, you know, so you you were on, you were on for two episodes, Andy, and then you brought Greg in. Greg, did you have to like interview with Larry? What like to get on no, set? We actually, by the time we went in for um, the Jimmy, uh, we were just, we were pitching it as a script. Um, Andy wasn't on staff, and we were coming in as like this is this is a these are ideas that we like, and if you like them, maybe we can do a show together. Um, yeah, the barber was heavily rewritten. The bar, the barber, I think, was very disappointing to Larry, and so I didn't get asked back. Martin <laughs> Short Show for a year, really. And I was also kind of disaffected. I wasn't having the best time. It wasn't there. There wasn't the the camaraderie and nurturing that I thought there might be. It was you, need, you needed it was a Greg. Intense atmosphere. What's that? You needed Greg. Yeah, I think that's I what it was. Greg. So, and I also didn't realize how good I had had it at Seinfeld after spending a year on on the Martin Short Show, (laughs) which, you know, had its own struggles. Um, I realized, boy, I really missed those goofy Seinfeld characters. And so I, I, and I knew if I was writing with Greg, I could recapture the enthusiasm. So, and it would be fun and we'd be good. So we started I said, you know, Greg, if we if we put together an outline, I'm sure it's going to be good. And I'll just go pitch it. I'll go back to Larry and Jerry and pitch it and they'll they'll like it and we'll do it. And that's exactly what happened. That's incredible. You know, it's your guys friendship. You guys are still talking today, like you said. And uh, two two episodes, two scenes come to mind about friendship that, that, that are part of your guys episodes that I just love. Um, because because everyone was talking about how me how selfish these characters are, and in the finale they get what's coming to them and all this stuff. But but you guys wrote in in uh you know the episode where Jerry goes out of his way to go to Yankee Stadium and take the the things off the car, right? That I lo- just love that like. George is willing, I'll do it myself. I don't care. Jerry's like, all right. You know, he still does all it. Right. Where does it end? You know, he does it for his friend, you know? And, and the one, and an even bigger one to me is, is Kramer, you know, siding with Jerry when he's in that, the bottle deposit. Do I go left? Do I go right? Newman's like, you know, keep going. And he's like, no, he's, he sticks with Jerry when push comes to shove and even kicks Newman <laughs> out of the truck at the fat man hour running lean. I, I love, I love those two, you know, scenes because it just shows their friendship. And, you know, your guys' friendship is probably on the pages there. I'm guessing, but just wanted to say that. I don't know if it's a question there, but I uh, love, love the, the friendship. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Kramer had a lot of heart. <laughs> not, not always the most reliable, but, uh, you know, uh, e- easily distracted guy and, and just kind of quirky. But uh, yeah, some, it could be very loyal. Very loyal. Yeah. And, you know, you guys put a lot of heart into everything you did. So we can't thank you enough. The, I mean, your work on Seinfeld, I mean, what can we say? I mean, thank you. Thanks for so, having yeah, us. Thanks for uh, having yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, Cat Robin, right? I mean, what's better than that? Um, well, thanks for having the podcast. I'm psyched you, you guys uh, are, are doing it, and thanks for helping keep the, uh, keep the fire yeah. burning. Of course. All the best, guys. Thank All you right, so much. Thank you. Thanks. See you guys. 